This is episode 31 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Antoinette Morrison. Pay attention to what drives you. Pay attention to what drives you and and the things that come up that look like maybe they're not, um, maybe it was not something you wanted, uh, but you had to take it anyways. Um, or maybe there, or maybe you wanted a certain internship possibly and okay, that didn't work out. Maybe there's a reason helping you get to where you need to be that it didn't work out. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I'm a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Antoinette Morrison, who is the music therapist behind Back Mountain Music Therapy and also a clinical supervisor and internship supervisor in Pennsylvania. We talk about her bottom-up approach and how that is different than most approaches we see in schools or other academic settings, but why it is so important and how it is able to help those clients who have not had success with a top-down approach. We also talk about Antoinette's experiences with students, some advice she has for students at large, as well as other faculty working with students. I hope you get a lot out of this episode and are encouraged to maybe approach your sessions a little differently or keep a different mindset when a more stereotypical maybe mindset isn't working out. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button so that the episodes are automatically downloaded to your podcast playing device. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help the podcast be more visible, and I'd love to be able to read some more reviews on the ends of episodes. You can find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles, and please consider joining our group on Facebook. And thank you so much to those people supporting us on Patreon. It is very much appreciated. Doing this stuff is not free, but I enjoy the conversations so much. And I really feel like putting these out into the world is adding value to the music therapy community. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Antoinette, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Antoinette. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Trisha. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing today? Good, good. Has the time change thrown you off a little bit? Or are you you smooth sailing? Uh, it did ch- throw me off. I showed up at a uh, at an event and I thought I was early, but I was thank goodness on time. So oh, goodness, <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst. 
Well, I'm glad you were on time and you got there and got to do your thing. So to start us off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, okay. I've been a music therapist since um, 1990, but I did take a lot, of, a lot of time off raising my family. And then I got back into music therapy here in Pennsylvania. I started out in New York State um, very briefly. And uh, I work at Marywood University in the clinic, and I have a private practice now. How did you originally find music therapy? Um, I'd always, always played piano since I was five. And I knew that I did not want to perform and I did not want to teach. Um, So I'd kind of given up on the the music. I was looking elsewhere. And then my uh, high school guidance counselor said, how about music therapy? And it was like somebody pinched me. It just sounded like, oh, it sounds like me. And the more I found out, uh, the more I knew it was for me. So what was it like when you started teaching at Marywood, having initially avoided the whole teaching thing? Well, ironically, I wanted to stay out of the schools, I thought, when I Uh, when I went into music therapy, but I kept ending up back in schools all the time. I liked, I like working with kids. Um, I guess I just did not love the school atmosphere while I was there. (laughs) Um, I guess, uh, you know, the politics of school, but I really enjoy working with small kids and and older kids too. I like that. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I I think um, at the undergrad level, this anyone that's a music therapy major so far is very very open and um, uh, sensitive. I don't know if I want to say sensitive. Um, open to the process as they come in. It may not be for all of them, but they're all open to the process. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Um, (laughs) I I think almost everyone that I've talked to comes almost for the same reason. They they love music, they love working with people, um, and they want to help people. And it seems like they're very open to the the possibilities. I guess open to something other than purely medical, maybe open to a more holistic uh, type of healing. Yeah, I've said it before on the show that we music therapists were a certain breed of person. Something about the training and the nature of music and the people we're surrounded with and the work we do just breeds a certain type of holistic human being in this profession. Yes, that's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. So is most of your caseload now still in school settings? No, actually, um, last year, yes, last year, I got out of the school settings. I got tired of the running around. And um, in Pennsylvania, it's it's pretty, it's, it's not in, it's not easy getting work in Pennsylvania. So the schools really want to pay for only the groups. 
And I personally felt my strength was in working with one on one kiddos. And I had enough of a, a caseload that um, when I got myself out of the last school, I thought, well, let's try this. And I can do more work. I feel like I can be more effective. Um, I can work longer and not get exhausted. <laughs> Um, so I, I kind of like having my own space and I'm just starting to get, I ha I'm on two IEPs, I think, or at least two schools are paying me for individual work. I'm not sure how, if I'm on the IEPs or not, but so this, it's a slow process, but it's starting here. Yeah, that's awesome. So what advice would you have for someone who is in a similar situation trying to figure out, um, Groups is what you're doing, but you would prefer to gravitate towards more individual sessions. I guess, how did you learn that about yourself? And what support would you say for someone who also wants to make that shift? Um, when I interned, I mostly worked with individuals. And when I got back here and got back into music therapy, I started out working with individuals. Um, small children. And I was seeing a lot of, you know, the younger they are, the quicker you see um, a result. Um, and then I started to get more and more groups and they were getting bigger over time and closer together. And I ended up, um, I ended up getting really sick one year. And then I ended up, um, I guess I realized at one of the, one of the schools in particular, um, mm, Let's see, the, the politics was a little bit more difficult. And I, I thought, you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I have enough of a caseload. Let's see if I can, let's see if I can keep going. So um, I knew that I liked, I guess it, I enjoyed the group work too, but I couldn't keep up with what they were expecting of me. And that was probably my own fault. Um, but I really enjoyed that, that group work. Uh, I couldn't have predicted I was going to do this. I, I, I guess I got to the end of my rope with the schools and thought, okay, well, let's see, let's try this. I don't know that I could tell anybody that, you know, how to get there. Um, but I would certainly say, listen to your own strengths and, and, uh, listen to your inner drive and take the temperature of what's happening around you over time. Um, I guess that's the best advice I could give. Wonderful. So what is it like balancing your practice and driving around to all the clients as well as being at Marywood? Oh, I guess I didn't clarify that. Well, I don't, I don't drive to clients. I have my own little center. Awesome. Oh, that's right. That's right. I don't think you, uh, yeah. Um, I have my own little center. They come to me. That's what makes it much easier for yeah. me. Um, and I kind of, changed my hours at Marywood so that I'm there two full days, or pretty long days, but then I have um, the rest of the week open for my center. And um, the school that I take the, the students to now is just blocks down from my center. So as I, I guess as I gravitated out of the schools, um, I kind of uh, managed my work so that it was a little bit more manageable, a little bit easier to, to do both things. Yeah, that's awesome. What was it like uh, obtaining and starting to move clients into a center versus becoming a tra or being a traveling music therapist? 
actually, I never did travel. I never traveled except to go to the schools. I had a small space out of my home uh, oh, for, for maybe seven years, I think. And, um, oh, I know I, I, one of my private, uh, one of my private clients I had suggested received more OT. So when I left one of the schools, that client's parents said, oh, there's a, um, there's a private OT that is in this particular building. She's interested in having like a all in one center. She's real interested in you. So I went to go see her and she offered me some space in the spaces that she rented, but it was much too compact and it would never work. Um, but there was more space in the building. So I took a look at the building and the price was right. Um, it was in a really, a really good location. A lot of, um, a lot of the things that I work with are, there's a lot of agencies right around there. So it's kind of accidental, I guess, um, how it all happened. But, uh, I really like the area that it's in. Uh, makes things easy for people. Uh, if I'd have known ahead of time I was going to do this, I don't know that I would have given my practice the name that it has because the name uh, kind of signifies the specific area that it's in. But I'm not too far outside of that, so yeah, it works. <laughs> I just read on Facebook. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but someone posted on one of the music therapy groups saying they're, they want to start seeing clients in their home and asking for advice on that. So do you have anything to say about seeing clients in home or some challenges you faced for that? Um, you know, it, when I was seeing clients in my home, it was perfect for the time I was doing it. Um, I could still manage. My kids were just kind of in high school, high school, Going into college, well, one was one was still in grade school when I started, and so it kind of worked worked really well with my schedule. Um, some of the disadvantage, some of the disadvantages are um, because my kids were older, and there's an upstairs um, entrance. Everybody could enter upstairs if they came home from school, and they it was quiet. So, but um, they were older, so I guess for people that might have younger kids, um, maybe the the sound factor could enter into it. Um, I guess having a dog also was a. Uh, I remember on Wednesdays I I do back to back groups all day long, and then I'd come home, let the dog out, get the dog back in, put the dog in the basement before the group of clients came from four o'clock to eight o'clock, and oh, you know, it's, it's just it, it's it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. It, it's nice uh, being at a center where somebody else comes in and does all the cleaning and I just walk into my spot. I don't have to worry about all that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that, you know, having the privacy and um, I having I'm mostly having the privacy and a little bit of freedom um, to be someplace out, outside of your home is nice. But while I was here, it worked for me. Awesome. I hope that helps whoever put that post out there on Facebook. Hopefully they're listening and <laughs> they hear those words. <laughs> so in preparation for this interview, you asked your students what they would like to hear you talk about. And they responded that they want to hear about your bottom up approach some more. 
Yeah, I talked with the interns a little bit and I, I said, okay, what stands out? And they said to me, well, why don't you talk about the bottom up approach? And I thought, well, yeah, that's, um, I kind of put that out there when I do my little, when anybody asks me what music therapy is, because I, I do, that's uh, with the one-on-ones, that's, that's my approach. So I kind of put those two things together. Um, so the, I guess I would explain it as, uh, you know, using the, uh, when I explain it to people who aren't music therapists, I, I usually say, um, it's kind of looking at the why for whatever the the uh, child or the the, the um, client is that's coming to see me. Why aren't they speaking? Where did it fall apart at? Um, I guess a more accurate um, definition would be, you know, taking the the sensory needs all into account. The very bot, you know, from the very bottom working upwards. Um, but that's that's kind of how I explain it to people who don't know, uh, who don't know what music therapy is or what I do. Not that, and I always um, precede that by saying not every music therapy works this way, but this is the way Backmount Music Therapy uh, works. What are some of the more surprising answers to the why that you found along the way? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I always, I always kind of had that bottom-up approach, but possibly with not as much information as I have now. And um, I guess I, I'm not terribly surprised at a lot of the why. I've, I think I've always been researching one way or another, but now um, I have a, I have better music tools to explain it from my uh my standpoint i guess yeah tell us about those um i i'm a huge fan of the i'm cap nd i'm sure you remember (laughs) um and what uh, this this whole area um everything is funded is kind of funded through a a top-down approach so when i start to talk um, or explain to parents what I'm doing, I usually get that little, you know, head cock, like, I, uh, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the more I, you know, the more I continue to talk and explain what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it and what I see from their kids, um, the more I, I, I often feel like the parents, sometimes when the kids get to school, get a little disconnected from their own intuitiveness towards their kids, maybe trying to be the best parents that they can be, you know, trying to follow what everybody's telling them is best for their kids. Um, But school is about academics and um, it's, I guess it's a different, it's a different approach, completely different approach than I take. Yeah. Am I answering your question? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so okay. this is what I it made me think of. Do you find okay. that this top-down approach kind of correlates with an ABA approach that I at least I've seen in most schools? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um it's got its place. But here I think that's about all there is. So that's what makes um 
I think my practice besides being music therapy, I mean, that's music therapy is not, isn't licensed here in, in Pennsylvania. So it makes it difficult to fund and bottom up isn't, um, funded here. So, you know, why not go all the way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how have you been able to really convince people to back what you're doing and to fund your sessions and your work in an environment that doesn't really foster that super, super easily? Um, I think I seem to get calls. In, uh, I get a lot of calls from people that um, their kids have been to or been kicked out of one, two, three schools, um, and they're they're looking for something different. So um, they are usually they come knowing that this works a little bit different. If it's they've heard a little bit about music therapy, or they've heard about a little bit about me, or um, or. I don't think the bottom, I think they've heard more about music therapy than that bottom up approach around here, I think. Um, so they already kind of come knowing it's going to be a little different. And I usually tell them, um, I'm probably going to tell you, talk to you differently than what you've heard before. Um, but I think parents are usually pretty receptive. At, at, not initially, not initially. I think, uh, I shouldn't say they're not receptive initially. They don't understand initially my approach but they're open to it. Okay. I think I'm happy with that answer. <laughs> well, I, I, it's, it's sad that it takes them to three schools to realize that the system is not working to find their way to you, but it's awesome that you are a resource and an advocate and an avenue they can take when the system in place has failed them X amount of times. And, and what I think what really works for me is that those parents are my biggest backers and they'll you know there's not a whole lot of there's no big organizations backing me but, but um a, a few of those parents will do just about anything to get the get the word out for me so it's a big help are most of your referrals word of mouth because of that um i I think so. Uh, I usually ask people where they heard of me, and some of them have looked me up on the internet. Some of them have told me, you know, I heard got your name from this one or that one. Um, people might not know about the bottom-up approach, but enough people have seen my work in, in the schools, too, and may have suggested me. So, yeah, I think, yeah, probably most of it um, comes from word of mouth. Awesome. So how do you transfer that bottom up approach to your own life and your own self care? Um, I think I've always been a why person. Like, I, I have to know why I'm doing it. Um, or how in order to get the answer, well, I, I, I have to find out why. Um, and as far as the the self-care, I guess that's just kind of, it's probably the way I've always lived um, without maybe a, a label for it. I just can't, um, I got to know what I'm doing. I just, I have to have a reason to be, to be doing what I'm doing. My, and the older I get, the more purpose I have to have, I guess, in what, in the way I'm spending my time.
Yeah. How do you sometimes find those answers for yourself about why you're doing what you're doing or why someone has asked you for whatever thing? Um, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I guess I look at what are my strengths? What am I good at? Um, does this make sense for me? Uh, like there's certain things for music therapy. Um, I'm really, I'm terrible at political legislative stuff. (laughs) So I don't, I don't put too much time there. You know, I, I'll sign or sign my name to petitions, things like that, but it's just not something I'm good at. Takes, takes, it's just not a strength of mine. Even if I do, when I do put it out there, I, I feel like I come off very awkward. So, um, I guess I look at what my strengths are. Does it make sense for my life at this time? Um, who am I, who am I helping and why? Um, I guess there's, I, I have more time and availability to do the, to put more time into music therapy um, completely full time than I did while I was a mom. And when, when that was my main job, I did some, but I didn't put as much time into that as because at that time I, that was a, another job I had to do. It took a lot of my time. So I look at what my strengths are and, um, and I guess what's available to me, I think maybe there's also a, a sense of, you know, does this, does this feel right? Or does this not feel right? Um, that I take into account too. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah. How have you been able to maintain this purpose driven practice when you're asking these big questions all the time because it can be really overwhelming to be constantly asking yourself why am I doing this what is my purpose what service am I providing how can I do better all that kind of stuff so how have you been able to balance pushing yourself to that level of excellence and also trusting the process that you'll learn along the way and continuing to want to do the work without becoming burnt out um, actually, I feel like it does the opposite for me, that it it just reduces all the stuff that does that uh, might be a distraction, you know, time put into things that could be a distraction, time taken away from things I'm already, things that I'm meant to do. Um, uh, there's only so many hours in the day. And you have to prioritize. So uh, I, I, I feel it helps me prioritize. And, and at the end of the day, okay, good. I, I did this. This is where my time needed to be. I feel good about this. Or, um, it, you know, if I've taken a, a, a trip off, off that path, at the end of the day, oh, my gosh, look at all the time. Look at all the time I wasted when I could have, have done this. I, I think it has... It does pose a, a little bit of an issue sometimes as far as self-care goes. Um, every once in a while you have to step back and say, no, no, you need to take some time away. But it does help me reduce the distractions by knowing what I'm doing and why, I think. Yeah. 
Well said. And I'm assuming because you're still at Marywood, you feel that purpose teaching the students and supervising them and having interns now too. Yeah, I I really love, I really love the one-on-one work. I'm not, I'm, I'm a really poor small talker. (laughs) Um, I really love the one-on-one work. I like talking to the students about, okay, why are you doing this? Why is this important? Because if you can't, if you can't relay why you're doing what you're doing about music with music therapy, um, how how can you make a case for funding it? Um, so yeah, I, I really like the I like going deep. It it fills me. Yeah. What advice would you have for students at large? who are listening to this, I guess, maybe what things have you seen come up a lot of times for students, conversations you've had over and over that you would want to say to anyone listening right now? Um, let's see. I guess I would say pay attention to what drives you. Pay attention to what drives you and, and the things that come up that look like maybe they're not, um, maybe it was not something you wanted, uh, but you had to take it anyways. Um, or maybe there, or maybe you wanted a certain internship possibly, and okay, that didn't work out. Maybe there's a reason helping you get to where you need to be that it didn't work out. Yeah. And what would you say to other? teachers, supervisors, professionals in a position that you're in who are trying to impart all of their knowledge onto the students? What advice would you have for them? Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I'd want to give anybody else. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best person to do that. Um, I, I, I love that job. I love uh, talking with the students. Um, yeah, and you know what? I don't really know what what other it's always nice to have other professionals to talk to I feel like when I do the clinic work that I get a unique perspective because there's no big crowd watching you you know there's no other teachers there's just myself there's a there's a window that you can't see me I can see you you can forget about me in there (laughs) and and I think um I get a slightly different perspective. I don't see the students in groups, so I don't know who they hang out with. I, I only see them in that one-on-one situation. Um, but it's a, it's nice to have other people, other faculty, um, other professionals that see the students to to um, say, hey, you know what? This come this came up, and I feel this way. Is this is this a, with this particular student? Did you see this? How help me, you know, help me. Do you see this or is, is, am I saying a, you know, am I taking this from possibly the wrong perspective? So it helps to have other faculty, um, you know, other faculty perspectives too. Yeah. What have been some of your most memorable experiences, especially with that unique opportunity to see the students one-on-one, not necessarily in group settings? What have been some of the most impactful experiences you've had with um, observing, supervising sessions, and then talking with the students about 
their sessions? Um, I think every, you know, every student comes in with their, their own, their own strengths, their own stuff. Um, and it really is kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to see the whole picture of an individual, even though, even though I'm not seeing them outside with, you know, with their friends to hear some of their stories and um, how that, how their stories impact often what they do in the clinic. Um, And to see them work, uh, I keep them with the same client throughout the, the uh, school year to be able to see them, see their accomplishments and see things happen over time is kind of cool. Yeah, that's uh, something that a lot of undergraduate experiences I don't think have to have that longer relationship with a client as opposed to the 15, 16 week turnover. I kind of feel like um, that the really good stuff with therapy usually happens at a more subtle level. And um, Giving the, giving the students a year to see some of our, especially the older the client is, I, I feel the, the progress doesn't happen as quickly. So maybe you don't see anything big from session to session, but you get to the end of the year and you look back and you say, wow, they really did come a, far, uh, come a long way. But it wasn't always quite so easy to see um, each and every time I was in there. Yeah. So I, I like I like having that long period. Yeah, what a beautiful experience to be able to give them, to to give them that longer amount of time and then reflect with them on how far they have come as a clinician and also how far the client has come because of their work. I, I kind of feel like, um, and maybe this is getting off the subject a little bit, but a lot of times, um, especially with my private clients, insurance uh gets in the way sometimes of progress because we've got time limits and um, maybe things possibly that we're not looking at that that are important too. So um, I always kind of feel like if you've got quick progress in a second, um, maybe you should stand back and say, well, what's, what's really going on here? <laughs> Is this... Um, the, uh, you, you, of course, you can get you can get quicker progress with some clients, but just because it's not immediate doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah. Can we dive more into just be, or about the quick progress, what's actually happening? What do you mean by that? Um, so I, I, I've said to the students before, sometimes you've got clients that are kind of if you're going to, you know, that if you take a video and, and um, it, of course, have the permissions you need um, and and or are you somebody invites you in to work with a client and they say, you know, we'll, we'll bring the client in. Well, there's there's clients that have those responses immediately that no one else you know that just really respond to the music in a very unique way immediately and then there's clients that um, take their time and maybe um, don't show that quick immediate response doesn't mean that 
we can't still do really good work. It might mean we would have to look at much more subtle things with that client that make a big difference over time. But watching them in the one session, maybe we're not going to see something with the, you know, somebody that's not a music therapist expecting to see this big miraculous type of change. Um, it, maybe you don't see it right then, but uh, maybe we need to take a, uh, a more subtle look at what's going on in the session. We don't need to bring more and more and more into the session. Maybe we need to look and see what's going on with that client and look at the details and take take that client a little deeper, a little slower maybe. Yeah, well said. And it is true that depending on where your funding is coming, it's hard to take that time. Yes. I know I've had yeah. clients, I can think of one in particular where um, mom was a former principal at a school and had a degree in special education or something to that effect. And I was working with her son who had uh, limited funding and we were on session three or four and she was not happy that you know so whatever results weren't happening and that this wasn't happening fast enough and he wasn't doing this that in the session and in my mind I'm trying to balance between I'm okay with not seeing those things right now I'm trying to build rapport but also our funding is going to run out in maybe a month or so and it's a tough situation to be in. It is. I think um, it and all of our clients have their own timeline. All, all of us do. We all have our own time with things. Um, but that kind of takes me back to what, when I say to the students, okay, why is this important? You have to make a visible case for why this is important because it, especially in schools where funding is limited and they want to see, you know, state standard results. Um, if you can't visibly point to why you're doing what you're doing, then how are you going to get them to listen? You know what they want, they want to see, you know, one, two, three, they want to see results. Well, you know, Johnny in front of me, his, his pace is, uh, much, much slower than one, two, three. We're getting there, but we're getting there at Johnny's pace. And then make a case why Johnny's pace is much slower than Betty's pace. And you're just not going to get Johnny to where Betty is in the same time frame. They're different people. But you have to be able to, to visibly somehow demonstrate that. And that ties back to... Um... Most schools want a group session because they have more people getting services for less money. But if right. half of your student is half of your class is at Johnny's pace and half of them are at Betty's place, it's really hard to adapt to all of those needs in one session. And I think you can. I mean, I've been put in that position before. You can adapt, but the the depth of your work is not gonna be able to go nearly as far because you have to accommodate, uh, you know, Betty and John, you gotta get them on the same page in that half hour that you're there and that can be done. But how far can you take Johnny? How far can you take Betty in their own needs, I guess, in a group, in group needs, but um, how far are you gonna be able to take them as far as what they could 
could be accomplishing. Um, so I'm not, I hope this is not coming across putting down group work at all. Um, I just, for me personally, I just really want to be able to go deep. I want to take that client as far as I can. Um, so that's why I've ended up doing what I've doing, I'm, I'm doing now. So, and I, I'm finding I can, uh, it doesn't take as much energy from me to, to do that. I can do, work longer. I can work more and not be so tired and feel more satisfied for me personally. Yeah. I, I've had clients too, just to not put down group work, um, that I worked with one-on-one in the home. And after a few weeks, I was saying, this is great and I can do stuff with this person, but what they really need is a music therapy group. You know, so there is, depending on what their goals are, sometimes that group work is what they need. It just. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's true. Or, or, um, or in addition, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's needs both in both, uh, both venues. Um, yeah, I, de- there's, there's definitely a need for the group work. Yes, yeah. I agree. Do you have anything you want to add to any of that before we move into rapid fire? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Alrighty. So you know how this works, um, but the questions are short. Your answers don't have to be. The first one is coffee or tea? Coffee always. Black, black, black. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? You know, that's hard to say anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I I always used to be an early bird. And then um, I guess as as job demands and, you know, as kids were here and doing night jobs, uh, it's changed. Um, I guess it depends on the need. But if, uh, most basically, I'm probably an early bird. Something you would tell your younger self? I think I would tell my younger self all those things that maybe you thought you wanted or um, that didn't work out or the things that happened that you were so scared to death of. Just hold on. They're gifts in the making. You're just not there to see it yet. I'm not sure that I would listen, but (laughs) that's what I would tell my younger self. Sometimes I wonder when I ask that question, if the the people out there, people who need to hear what is said will hear it, I guess, where, you know, this episode, someone will hear that and need to hear it and it'll resonate. And the next person listening would hear that and it doesn't really what they need to hear in that time. But sometimes I wonder who hears what, (laughs) that kind of stuff, if the younger audience gets those messages at their core. I think, I think if I were told that when I was younger, um, I would listen, but it probably wouldn't sink in. I think it had, I had to get older to <laughs> have it sink in. Yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes. Your music therapy elevator speech. <sighs> you know, I, I don't have one particular elevator speech. I think what I end up doing here is when somebody asks me, I'm taking a real quick of a assessment of who they are, what their framework is, and what they're asking me specifically. Um, so when I give a, 
elevator speech. It's usually for my own practice here. So I, I try to put some of those, all those things together as quickly as I can, unless it's a person that, you know, wants to know more, then I'll, I'll give them more. Awesome. Your favorite self-care practice. Um, I love to read and this has got to be the most unique (laughs) self-care practice, but, um, when I'm, when I'm home or in my office, once I start to organize or move furniture (laughs) and I'm all done and everything's reorganized, um, and cleaner, I just feel really good. I feel like I've gotten a lot done. Got that feng shui gene. What's that? Feng shui, you know, moving furniture to help the energy in a room. Oh, okay. I've not heard that term. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. It's a Chinese practice. I'm pretty sure, though, that um, at home I'm banned from saying, I have an idea. (laughs) Because that usually means (laughs) major furniture or some kind of house project. (laughs) Well, it's good in the feng shui philosophy. The idea is that when you move these things, it helps the energy move better, flow better in whatever space you're in. And I know in recently I've had the thought I observed a music therapist in a couple settings and um, I actually have similar settings anyway. And moving from how do I say this? She had a lot of groups in one location and Every time we transitioned between a group, I would think, oh, I would move that and that and that and that to set up the session differently for this next group. And she never did those things, which is fine. That's her practice. But in my brain, I was thinking, you know, this chair is a distraction and someone's going to walk over that chair because that's just what kids do. They walk over things instead of around them. And I now in my sessions, I make sure to move all the things between push all the chairs into the desks and make the space set for what it needs to be. Yeah, I, I get into these things where all of a sudden I'm working from my office or my house and I look around and I say, this just this just, it just looks fancy and I got to reorganize and it usually takes me some time. But when I'm done, I'm much more pleased. It feels like it's more open, I, I guess. Yeah. I'll go back to your other one real quick. Do you have any book resources or recommendations for the listeners? Um, well, um. I would say if you're really interested in that bottom-up music therapy approach, uh, Dr. Carpente's IMCAP ND book is an excellent source. Awesome. I will find that and link it in the show notes. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Um, two, of my, two of my three kids have moved out. They have their own careers and are married. So... It's uh, when everybody comes home in whatever combination they come home, I that adds a huge value to my life, I think. Yeah, and we're getting into that season, the holiday coming home season. Yes, yes. <laughs> Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? That one's hard. To, I'm, I think I'm going to answer this a little bit differently, if that's okay. So most of my, since my sessions now are all one-on-one sessions, um, it's improvisational. Um, What I love, I'm going to answer this from the stance of response, I guess. 
I love when I get one of those responses where um, where you're seeing the client really truly as themselves for the moments in the for moments in the session. Um, I guess if you if we're going to refer to that, maybe that's a, the Nordoff Robbins concept of the the music child. Yeah, I love those moments. Me too. <laughs> Getting a client to laugh is one of my favorites. Even sometimes um, when there's tears, but you know it's just it's just all coming out. Um, not so bad. Not so bad. And to finish us off, where can listeners find you and connect with you? Um, my website at www.backmountmusictherapy.com. Um, and I guess my my Mary would address uh, Morrison at um, maryu.marywood.edu, I think. I hope I got that right. <laughs> I'll link them in the show notes. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me and to share with the listeners. And I hope that those of you listening find some inspiration knowing that it's okay to go outside the norm and approach your practice and addressing things a little bit differently. Thank you very much for having me, Trisha. Of course. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Music Therapy Chronicles. Once again, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, joining our group on Facebook, following us on social media, and becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find our account at patreon.com slash musictherapychronicles. And by becoming a patron, you will have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So if you've ever before been listening to an episode and thought, wow, I really wish I could ask this person whatever question comes to mind, this is your opportunity to do that. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, or if there's someone you want us to reach out to, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.